this came quickly. Ruth chapter 4. We're at the end of, end of Ruth, and I don't know that I'm ready to let it go, but we don't have any choice, right? There's only four chapters. It's a little story with big implications. And as we start this morning, <clears throat> what have you ever read a book, watched a movie, I know you have, that basically there's setback after setback after setback after setback. And then there's that one last setback where like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, I don't know, again, whatever, Raven's not here, I'll, I'll use this. <laughs> Lord of the Rings illustration. So for me, it's Shelob, for Frodo. I'm like, this, this guy, this little hairy toe hobbit guy, has been through so much in Shelob. And of course, in the books, that's in Two Towers. In the movies, it's in uh, Return of the King. But it's like, for real? Like, really? And Sam thinks he's dead. And she's like, I don't want to ruin it for you, but he's not dead. Um, but she's like, come on, man. You know, ha ha you've got to be kidding me. After everything that this person's gone through, this character's gone through, you've got to be kidding me. But, so that's the catastrophe moment. So there's all kinds of trials, tribulations, you know, tension building, and there's that catastrophe moment. You're like, oh my word. Now, some movies, <coughs> newer movies, they end with that. I hate that. I hate the catastrophe at the end where you're like, do not watch this movie, but if you ever saw Seven, oh my heavens. I won't even get into it. You talk about a, a, a catastrophe to end the movie, then the movie, you're like, what? And so, it's awful. Don't watch it. <laughs> it's like for real. I'm not kidding. Don't watch that movie because it ends stupid. I mean, it makes perfect sense, but it's stupid. I'm sorry, that's my public discussion of movie seven, which you should not watch. So, but today we're going to see what happens after the catastrophe, and this is a French word. Are you ready? It's the denouement. <laughs> The denouement. <laughs> and the denouement is kind of the unraveling. It's a French word that literally means untying the knot. Okay? So it's like you, know, you get all tensed up, and then the denouement uh, is the release of tension, the explanation, the justification, and hopefully the, oh, look at that moment. Well, we get to see the catastrophe today. We've already seen a lot of catastrophe, but we see the last, oh, no moment. And then we're going to see the denouement of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi's life all in this last chapter. So if you would please stand, we're going to read Ruth chapter 4. The very words of God that he has preserved for us that we might know him, hear him, and love him. Ruth chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the partial of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Bide in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. If you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the banner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. 
Christ. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amenadab, Amenadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word. And we do ask that your Holy Spirit would teach, instruct, convict, and build us up so that you might get glory in our lives as this word, the seed of this word, is planted in our hearts and brings forth fruit for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. May we see it. So we have looked at Ruth now. This is the fourth chapter. We looked at chapter one, which we titled Ruin. Chapter two was Relief. Last week was romance, and today is um, Rodney came up last week. He said, You're going to make us wait till next week to know what week four is. Week four is redemption. Okay? Ruin, relief, romance, redemption. And um, we're going to start, we're going to read the first four verses again, and then look through those as we move through. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, <clears throat> and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. Sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of these sitting here, those sitting here, and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. There is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Shoot! No. So we left off last week with Ruth leaving the threshing floor during the pre-dawn, under cover of darkness with about 90 pounds of grain on her. He put it on her. When she shows up at home, Naomi asks how things went, and Ruth tells her, Naomi then told Ruth to rest easy and wait, for she was sure, Naomi was sure, that Boaz would take care of this matter that very day. This matter being, Ruth had proposed to Boaz, and Boaz said, hey, yeah, but we got a problem, okay? There's somebody who comes in line before me who is a closer relative than me who can redeem you. And so again, I just see you know the CBS special ends right there last week. It's like dun dun dun, and she's going oh, and then so join us next week as we. But 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 it ends and you're going oh no, there's somebody closer, you know. For real, I mean this thing is unfolding perfectly. We've talked about providence and how how everything's working out, and then here there's somebody closer, and 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 so Boaz presents it to him, and here we go. So today, as he goes to take care of this matter, he finds himself here just past pre-dawn. Okay, remember Ruth had gone back under cover of darkness, basically. And Naomi said, rest easy, today will be the day of our redemption. Naomi told Ruth, rest easy, relax, he's going to handle this today. Today will be the day of our redemption. Your redemption, Ruth, Naomi's, and Elimelech's, God rest his soul, and their two sons, God rest their souls. So this chapter, chapter 4, in which we're calling redemption, starts with the word now. Of course, that's a time reference. 
And it obviously implies immediacy. So here in the early morning, just past dawn, now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. Now, you're like, what's that mean? Let me tell you. Because it's very telling about this guy, Boaz. The gate is not just a place where people came and went into and out of the city. It was the place of decision. It was the place of public court. It was the place where the leaders gathered to discuss things. And again, when you think about Bethlehem, the house of bread, don't think even Beckley size. It's not that big, okay? Think almost Helen size, maybe a little bit bigger. Not a lot of people there, but they've got a city gate. So this, you know, they've got people coming in and out, but the leaders, the elders of the town, would assemble there at the gate, and that's where they would make decisions, hand down judicial decisions, stuff like that, decide what needs to be done for the town. So we find leaders in the gate. And you see that all through the Old Testament, not just in Bethlehem. But you see leaders, kings, judges, and people standing, assembling or making decisions at or in the gate. So, public transactions, selling of land, oh, you know, redeeming, stuff like that. That's the type of thing that would happen in the city. It's like the courthouse kind of, okay? So, here in the early morning, Boaz goes up to the gate. He's going to transact some business. Now, that also infers that he's a leader, a decision-maker in the town of Bethlehem. He, and that we had seen earlier that he was a worthy man. And him coming here and initiating this transaction here in the gate shows that he was a leader. And if you want to see how much of a leader and decision-maker he was, look at the next part of the passage. It says, And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz says to the Redeemer... And note this really quickly. The Redeemer's never named. He's called the Redeemer. Little R, Redeemer. The Redeemer. Never get his name. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So this guy walks by and just, behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. It just so happened he was passing by the gate at that moment. Huh, that's lucky, right? So Boaz said, hey, 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 friend, come in. Have a seat. And it says he turned aside and sat down. Okay. He listened to Boaz. Okay? But not just this Redeemer. After this guy sits down at Boaz's request, then Boaz literally grabs ten of the elders of the town of Bethlehem and says to them, Hey, sit down. Which again, I don't deal with that time. What sit down? Like, like a bus driver. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry <laughs> I told me to sit down the most with my bus driver. So that's, that's where that comes from. That's true. Yeah, Russell Cook. You may know Russell Cook. You might be still alive. Somewhere saying, sit down. But anyway, anyway, so he grabs these 10 guys and he says to them, sit down. And they sit down. So they know that something's going on here. He's initiating something and they're listening to him. He's instigating some discussion or some business. And when he says sit down, they sit down. So Boaz has some clout. You don't tell the elders what to do. But he's like, hey, come here, sit down. I, I, come and talk. When Boaz talks, people listen. See, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton says, some of you are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> some of you know what I'm talking about. The E.F. Hutton commercials. So some of the commercials, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton says, and when the guys would say, and E.F. Hutton says, everybody in the room would get quiet and lean toward him. Because what E.F. Hutton said had some weight. So, Boaz is kind of like that. When Boaz talked, people listened, even people in the gate. So, now watch Boaz's work here. He's smooth. He's a smooth operator. It's really impressive. So, he looks at the fellow who's just called the Redeemer, and I'll do that the whole time. I will do air quotes for the Redeemer. Okay, I will do that. We don't know his name. We just know that he's a closer relative than Boaz to Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech. That's all we know about him. So, Boaz says to this Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling a parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So, I thought I would tell you of it and say, by the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it, but if you will not tell me that I may know, for there's no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. So again, this is the build-up, right? This is the moment. This is the moment we're going to find out Boaz and Ruth are going to be together forever. He's going to redeem her. 
So this pitch that Boaz makes is for the land from the family of Elimelech. Note that. Who both Boaz and the Redeemer are related to. So Boaz looks like at this point that he's making a land deal. Hey man, there's some land that we can redeem or buy back to keep in the family since Elimelech and both his sons are dead. So Naomi is selling this land. So I thought I'd tell you of it, Boaz. It's awful nice of him. Because since you're the closest relative redeemer guy, you have the first shot at it. So if you want to buy the land and redeem it, then well, all the decision makers we need are right here. Hmm, look at that, by chance. And so we can we can do this deal now. Do the deal. Do the deal, right? We can do it now. So, if you want the land, here it is. If you want to redeem, quote, unquote, the land, go ahead. But if you don't, I'd be willing to do so. Because you're first, and I'm second. So, again, if you want the land, it's rightfully yours to buy. And I'll backstop you, just in case you don't want it. Handy how that worked out, huh? So all the pieces are in place. The pieces are moving. Uh, the pretty music's playing. Everything's in place for his plan. All he needs is for this redeemer to say, nah, Boaz, you can just, no, you, you take it. I don't want it. This is going to be great, right? <coughs> Providence. It's all working out according to plan. Yay. But then this redeemer says, I think unexpectedly in the flow of the story, okay, I'll redeem it. Uh-oh. Catastrophe. I'll take the land. I mean, land's good. Real estate's the best investment you can make. That's what the abundance says, right? Sound investment done. Let's do this. Yeah, I'll have land. Uh-oh. Whoa, 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 whoa. This isn't the way things are supposed to go. But providence, right? But, but happy endings. And if you just stopped at verse 4, you're going, oh, no. This no-name redeemer is going to swoop in and take what we just knew was going to go to Boaz? But but why? And you don't really feel the weight of it unless you just sit and look at it and stop and think and say, oh, this could have went sideways right here. But our guy Boaz is not done yet. Okay? He's really holding on the cards. And here comes his ace in the hole, his master stroke. He's really good. First off, then Boaz says, after the catastrophe, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, oh, P.S., you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Now watch this. Typically, the call to redemption would be led with the responsibility of the person to redeem the bloodline. To raise up a name for the deceased. And then would be followed by the benefit of the land that came with the role of Redeemer, redeeming the family name. So there's a bloodline, a family name, the land, all those things needed redeemed. And usually it was, hey, you should redeem this guy's bloodline because he's dead and you're the, you're the next of kin. That's the way it's supposed to go. But Boaz led with the land. You should redeem this land if you can. And if you can, I will. I was like, fine, I'll do it. I was like, and by the way, that land is tied to a family. And the land was God's land perpetually, we had said, back in the introduction of, of, of Ruth. So normally the call would be to redeem the person or people, and then the details of the assets would follow. But Boaz, leading with the land, is basically putting the, the redeemer in kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, I'll take the land. But Boaz comes in the back door and says, Oh yeah, I forgot to mention one itty-bitty detail. When you buy a field, you get a free bride thrown in. Right? Yeah, this is a great deal. You're, you're getting the, the deal of the day. Oh, one Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the last of the clan to die. And, Boaz adds, you get to make a baby with the Moabite woman that won't be yours but we'll be the dead guy's heir. Right? You a good guy, Redeemer. You get to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. And I can just see Boaz kind of with his hands behind his back, scratching in the dirt with his foot. We're doing the deal, right? Right? Close my smile. 
wide-eyed and waiting for this Redeemer's response, which we see in verse 6. And the Redeemer said, uh, 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 I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my wife of redemption yourself, for I, 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 I cannot redeem it. Well, looking at this, it elicits a lot of response for me. There's a lot here in my opinion. So this guy, known as the Redeemer, has an aha, or really kind of an uh-oh moment. It seemed like it just made sense to buy this piece of land. But now that he knows that the land comes with two widows, actually, and a responsibility to father a child that wouldn't be his with the Moabite woman, well, then that's a little different. I cannot redeem it for myself, he says. And if you look at this verse, look at the words, I, I, my, my, I, I. What's he focused on? He's focused on himself. I cannot redeem it for myself. And remember, this is supposed to be for the benefit of the one being redeemed and their family's interests. But this guy, this redeemer, leads his response with I. After hearing that the women were part of it, I cannot redeem it for myself. Well, it's never been the point that you're only redeeming a piece of land anyway. But he can't get off the piece of land. I can't redeem it. I can't redeem it. I can't redeem it. For myself. And what's his fear? Lest I impair my own inheritance. Now we don't know the full meaning of this. We don't know what this guy's situation was. It could mean that he's married with kids. And having to take another wife and have another kid wouldn't work. That's a possibility. It could mean that if he takes a wife, if he's not married, then he'd lose the stuff that he sees as his to this kid who's not going to be his. Lest I impair my own inheritance. I don't know. And God doesn't tell us. But we do see that the Redeemer is more worried about his own inheritance, his own stuff, than the right and the duty of redemption of the bloodline and the people involved here. There is not a whiff of, oh, it would be an honor to serve in this redeeming capacity and carry on the family name of my deceased kinsman. There's none of that at all. I, I, me, me, mine, to quote the Beatles. And we'll talk more about that when we get to application. But for now, since he doesn't want to participate, he tells Boaz... Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And again, he's stuck and focused on the first part of Boaz's first self-pitch. You take the land, man. You take that right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it, the land. It's a thing, not a person that he's concerned about. So that uh-oh moment we were looking at as a hurdle to Ruth and Boaz, the catastrophe that would keep them from being together forever, uh-oh, aha, is suddenly... Out of the way completely. Boaz managed the situation very effectively. He played that fool. <laughs> so now for the actual act of redemption. So now here comes the dead mole. Here we're going to unravel it off for the rest of the chapter. The official transaction, verses 7 and 10. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off a sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy for yourself, he drew off his sandal. He's <laughs> like, one, buy for yourself, sandal, right? <laughs> then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and to Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. To perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his name. You are witnesses this day. Now, now, hold on a second before we get too far into this. If you remember back in the introductory message, and I told you we'd refer back to it several times, wasn't this supposed to be a ceremony of shame? You know what I'm talking about? Deuteronomy 25, I'm going to go back to it. If the man does, this is the law of God, if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, to redeem 
the name, the blah, blah, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. Time out a second. It's painfully obvious that this redeemer is refusing to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. And he is persisting, it would seem. I can't redeem it. I can't redeem it. That'll damage my inheritance. I can't redeem it. So shouldn't he be ashamed? According to the law of God? Should Ruth not come up and take his sandal off and spit in his face? Why am I bringing that up? My question is, oh boy, what have the Israelites done here? They've forsaken the law of God. They've perverted it. They've watered it down to this, oh, this is just what we do as a means of ceremony type of deal. The writer of Ruth, whoever it is, says it was a custom in former times in Israel. Now listen, the writer of Ruth, and we'll talk about this at the end, the writer of Ruth is, is past David's time. So they're 100 years up the road or so looking back at this. So they're looking back at this and says it was a custom in former days, a ceremony, that to confirm a transaction, there was an exchanging of sandals to attest that something had changed hands. Well, that may be so, okay? But we don't see that in the law of God. The law says the removing of the sandal was a thing of shame and to be used to show someone's stubborn selfishness. It was not just a way of attesting in Israel. And having a widow spit in your face is not mentioned here. And remember, this is the time of the judges when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And early on in the book of Judges, we read that a generation came up that did not know the Lord. So, it would be easy to see how the law of God called for shame in this case. But the people had squeezed that shame out of the ceremony to help themselves feel better. To explain, well, that was for back then. We don't do that now. We're more civilized. Yeah, read the book of Judges. They were not more civilized. Everybody did what was right in his own eyes, and it was anarchy, and it was mayhem, and there was no attention paid to the law of God. They explained it away. They don't apply to us anymore. Be careful, America. That doesn't mean that. We'll just take off sandals to attest to our deal being made. That worked better? Yeah, that's better. That's easier to take. That's easier to handle. That makes more sense to me. Yeah. Be careful. Be careful. So in that passage today, there's no shame or spitting, but there is a sandal taken off to verify the exchange of the right of redemption from the Redeemer to Boaz. So the Redeemer says, buy it for yourself, drill off a sandal, and again, know that it, redeem it for yourself. He's still stuck on the land. But look what Boaz says to all the elders and all the people there. You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilean and to Malon. Okay, so he's got the stuff. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. Why? Because she's hot. I like her a lot. I have bought her to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Boaz is a good man. He's a God-fearing man, a God's law-abiding man. And he's got the whole picture in his mind for sure. He's just got to be plum giddy as well, knowing that today, today, he would take this worthy woman to be his wife. He has bought back 
what belonged to Elimelech, and then to Chilion from the hand of Naomi. So that what was hers by last will and testament is now Boaz's. And he has bought the right to marry Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon. But he's not just doing it for himself. Because he knows that it is his duty to have a child in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. Why? Because that the name of the dead might not be cut off from among his brothers and from among the gate of his native place. Now that's the right way to handle it. And he gets good out of it. He gets a lot of good out of it. But his focus is not just on himself. It's on doing the right thing for the right reason. Which is usually the hardest thing to do. Boaz is Naomi-focused, he's Ruth-focused, and he's even dead guy's name-focused, as it should be. The Redeemer wanted to expand his territory and buy the land, but had no desire whatsoever to engage in this redemption business at all. So Boaz does it all, and he does it all well. And then he calls on those at the gate, the leaders and the people, to be witnesses of it, which they do, verses 11 and 12. Then all the people who were at the gate of the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So yeah, the people and the elders verify that they are witnesses of Boaz's redeeming transaction. And they offer up a blessing, a prayer for Boaz and Ruth. And what a request it is. First, they ask that Ruth, this man's new bride, would be like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. Now, what's that mean? Well, first of all, it was a common bridal blessing in that day, prayed over a woman about to be married. And it refers to God dealing with Rachel and Leah. And you've got to go back into Genesis for that. Rachel and Leah were Jacob's wives. We mentioned them last week. Jacob woke up with a different wife in his bed than he thought he had. So Jacob, who became Israel, these were his wives. So they were the birth givers of some of the original 12 tribes of Israel. Their sons, along with the sons of their handmaids, whom Jacob had children with. It's a mess, y'all. Okay? That, that's, this is not prescriptive. Okay, This is descriptive. So these four women, including Rachel and Leah, were, were the twelve tribe heads' mothers of the nation of Israel. And here, now watch this. Both Rachel and Leah had issues with barren wombs at one time or another. And both are said to have had their wombs opened by God himself. Now if you'll remember, Ruth was in Moab ten years or so. Probably married in that ten years or so and had had no children up to this point. Having been married possibly as long as ten years. So this blessing being prayed over Ruth is that the Lord would bless her womb and give her children so that she might have a prominent place in Israel's history by the child or children that she bears as God blesses. And boy, does that prayer get answered. We'll see it at the end. And then for Boaz, they pray, May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So they pray that Boaz would act worthily in Ephrathah, when Ephrathah is basically a district in which Bethlehem was in. Um, and that he would live there and continue to do worthy things. Keep being you, Boaz, is basically what they're saying. Um... They also pray that Boaz would be renowned in Bethlehem. And renowned is basically fame. Act worthy and be famous. That's what they're praying for. May people know your name because of your worthy acts. Again, prayer to be answered resoundingly, which we'll see at the end. And then they finish their prayer for Boaz by asking that his house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by the same woman. That's a little bit trickier. Tamar and Judah's story is not a pretty one. You can find it in Genesis 38. But anyway, they have twins, Perez and Zerah. Well, Perez was the father of some children, and one of the clans from uh, one of the kids became the head of a clan that were the direct ancestors of those who would settle in Bethlehem. So these folks in Bethlehem basically see um, Perez and Tamar 
as uh, Judah and Tamar's son Perez as kind of the fountainhead of everybody that they see around them. Okay? So they could look around this town and they would think, Perez, he started all this. And so they're asking that Boaz would be blessed and that Boaz's house may end up looking like a full town or a full village full of fine Jewish folk living in joy and peace in the house of bread because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. It's quite a prayer, really. For this fine man and his soon-to-be wife. And now, marriage time. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. There's the wedding. There you go. <laughs> and let's get to the action. And he went into her. And the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So finally, yay, right? Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. After death and immigration and poverty and hard work and charity and late night schemes and selfish kinsmen and pulled off sandals and prayers and blessings and providence, 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 providence. After all that, Boaz and Ruth are married. He takes her. If you love the woman, you must take the woman. That's a little three amigos. <laughs> So he must love the woman because he takes the woman, right? He takes her and she becomes his wife. And they consummate the marriage. Boaz goes into her. And what happens? Well, watch this. The Lord gave her conception. Now don't miss that. Just like God had opened the womb of Rachel and Leah, God opened Ruth's previously barren womb. It was not meant for her to have children by her deceased husband. And so she didn't. God decides when she has a child. God does that. That's the consistent testimony of the Bible. God decides when people get pregnant. There are no mistakes. God gives life. And the baby that God gives her in Boaz is a boy. It's a boy. Blue cigars for everybody. So let's celebrate, right, Ruth? 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 Where'd Ruth go? Watch this. And the Lord gave her, Ruth, conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Where'd Ruth go? <laughs> she bore a son, and the woman said to Naomi, and we just saw, before this, the next to the last mention of Ruth, after the Lord gave her conception, she bore a son. Over the next eight verses, the last eight verses of the book, we'll, they'll mention her one more time, but she's gone now. She's gone from the scene. She has a baby, she's gone. Some of you women are going, amen. <laughs> so she'll be spoken of to Naomi, but we don't see Ruth again the rest of the book. She gets married, has a baby boy, and bye-bye Ruth. And so the focus then turns to Naomi. And if you'll remember right, now we're in the day new mom, we're on time, we're explaining everything, we go back to where we started at the beginning of the book. We had said before that the book might better be titled Naomi, because the narrative is ultimately about her and her redemption. And so we start and finish with Naomi. And while Ruth was redeemed out of her widowhood, and out of her foreigner status, out of her barren status, Naomi is redeemed in that her husband and son's name will be perpetuated as a result of this baby boy being born. So the women say to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. What renowned one around here? He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who's more to you than seven sons. Seven's a number of perfection and completion. 
has given birth to him. They praise God for giving a redeemer to Naomi. They praise God saying, God gave you a redeemer, Naomi. Now, who's the redeemer? God has not left Naomi without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. That's what they prayed for Boaz, right? So, is the redeemer Boaz? The answer is no. Keep reading. He shall be your restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more than sentence, has given birth to him. The baby is the redeemer. Huh. God redeeming with a baby. Who to thunk it? How odd, how weird. And this redeemer, this little boy, this little baby, shall be for Naomi, a restorer of life and a nourisher of her old age. What's that mean? Anybody got grandkids? Are they a restorer of life? And a nourisher of your old age? Yeah, boy. I don't know. I ain't got that. You have some 25. I mean, you could share. <laughs> well, this is true to the tenth power for Naomi. She who had come back empty and had instructed probably these same women who are talking to her now to call her Mara or Bitter. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Bitter. Now she's redeemed and she's of this baby, which is technically her son's son. Now it's Boaz and Ruth's son, Ruth, Ruth, Boaz and Ruth's son, but technically, according to the law of God, it's Ruth's grandchild. It's her boy's boy. Due to God's redemptive stipulations, Naomi's life, Naomi's family name, Naomi's line. Naomi's pleasantness will go on. And it's all because of this little baby. And I said that Ruth was out of the picture and that she is in and of herself, but these ladies praise her word to Naomi, saying that Ruth loves Naomi and is more than seven sons to her and is the one who has given birth to this redeeming child. So Ruth gets some praise after her physical departure. And that departure is even more pronounced when we see the next verse. It says that the baby is laid in her lap Naomi's lap. And Naomi becomes his nurse. She cares for him, and that picture of him on her lap is, is just precious. But it's more than symbolic. Commentator Daniel Block describes it this way. Within this family context, these are not legal actions, but the loving, natural actions of a grandmother, gratefully accepting her new status and tenderly receiving the baby. Within the context of the book, however, he says, the action is much more significant. The image of this woman taking the child in her arms must also be seen against the backdrop of her previous experience. She had not only had her breadbasket emptied by the famine, in the deaths of her husband and sons, her bosom had also been emptied of her men. And now, that's it quote, and now there's a boy in her lap. And technically, it's hers. It's her name. It's her bloodline. Blessed she is indeed. Pleasant she is indeed. Restored and nourished by the baby that is born through Boaz and Ruth. Laid him on her lap. Now watch this. Then it says that the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. Now, I looked everywhere that I could look. No, that's not true. I looked in a lot of places. I don't know if this was common, if the neighborhood named the baby or not. I don't know. I, I didn't find that information. I listened to hours of sermons on this chapter. I read books. I read commentaries. And none of them mentioned this. But anyway, the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. Saying, the son has been born to who? To Naomi. And they named him Obed. Obed means either servant or worshiper. The word's the same for both, by the way. That's interesting. They named him Servant Worshipper. Let's call him that. He was the father of Jesse. The father of David. So as Naomi comes back into focus, this serving worshiper is laid in her lap. He's called her son. He's the redeemer. He redeemed Naomi. 
And may his name be renowned in Israel. Well, does that happen? Uh, yes. Because this little baby has a baby. Later in his life, not just then. <laughs> He's got, and he, Obed has a boy. And Obed names his boy Jesse. And Jesse has a boy later on in his life. He's got several actually. But he names one of them David. So that makes Ruth great, great, get it straight, great, great grandmother of David. Now listen, I don't know what your political preferences are, but you probably, well, some of you probably have a favorite president. You look back at that president and say, man, that, that one there, that, that was my guy. David was the guy in Israel, okay? There was no greater king in the eyes of Israel historically than King David. So was this little baby, this little serving worshiper, was he renowned in Israel? You bet he was. Because he was an ancestor of King David. And everybody would have went, whoa, whoa. You just talking about David's, whoa, that's David's line. <clears throat> and some simple, faithful acts of some insignificant, lost, hurting, suffering people paved the way for David to be born. And all Israel goes, whoa! And she was a Moabite. Whoa! And Boaz was a worthy man. We liked him, Boaz. And he redeemed her, and he redeemed Ammon, he making seemingly insignificant choices leads to the redemption of the world. Neither the people in the narrative nor the narrator, a reliable narrator if you'll remember, none of them knew the significance of these events. They saw it up to David and said, that's what makes this significant. God's like, oh, you're right. The people in the narrative were focused on their parts. 
possibly be true of my life? Could that possibly be true of your life? Redeemer, reversal. What do we learn? What are the implications from this chapter so that we can apply this to our lives? I want to focus on quickly the Redeemer. I call him the Retainer instead. Because all he cared about was retaining his own interests. All he cared about was what he could get in addition to what he had. So he's the Retainer. And I couldn't tell you that in the story because I wanted to save it for application. What do we know about this guy? We don't even know his name, for goodness sake. We know that he didn't want to redeem the land. That's all we know about him. And he goes down in history as the Redeemer who didn't redeem anything. His part in the story was dramatic effect. It was pointless. Listen to me. If all you are worried about is yourself. Not just history, but eternity will see you as one who cannot redeem nor can be redeemed. And you will disappear into obscurity until you find yourself suffering eternity in hell. You're like, doggone, man. Do I know that this Redeemer went to hell? I don't know that. But I know that his only focus was on his stuff. And if I'm only focused on me and my stuff, I'm worshiping an idol called me. And if all I want to do is keep me, me, I, I, me, 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 mine, I've got to get outside of myself. And then I'll say this quickly. Some of the most miserable people I know Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What would it profit a man to begin the whole world and forfeit the self of Jesus? If you are selfish, and we're all naturally selfish, I'm a selfish person. I can't break that cycle. I fade into obscurity. Not that I want to be renowned, but I want somebody to know my name. I want God to know my name and to call that name so that I might know. Here's the application point for retainer. Don't be selfish. Retainer, redeemer. We see Boaz here as the redeemer, a selfless, thoughtful, purposeful, 
seeking the good of others type of guy. Remind you of anybody? Perfect example is our Redeemer, right? Jason read this this morning. No, I don't have it up here. I'll read it. Ephesians 1, 7 to 10. He read a bigger context than this. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. You want the perfect example of what it looks like to be a Redeemer, to be selfless? Look at Jesus. Be selfless. Look to Christ's example. And the one word that jumps out to me there is that he gave us redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. You want to be selfless, show people grace. Look to Christ's example. And you're sitting this morning, you're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what Christ's example is. Look to it. He can and will redeem you away from your selfishness into a life of selflessness where you find yourself full in Him. Last application point for passing to I'm sorry. Retainer, Redeemer, finally reversal. All through this book we see one reversal after another. One reversal, just like we did with Esther. And you know what? That's all of history. And in this book, one faithful act turns all of history around. And nobody knew it. This whole book is a bunch of reversals and God specializes in reversal. Naomi went from empty to full. She had lost everything in the moment. Now is most blessed for all time. Ruth was a pagan outsider, once your enemy, now seated at the table of God, integral in God's plan of redemption for his glory. Boaz went from single to married. Please listen to what I say here when we're done. Sinclair Ferguson says, We must never see things as if God was doing one thing with one person at one point in time. He is always doing several things in all people, at all times, in all places, and He's doing it from an eternal perspective. When you ask, Why is this happening to me? Nothing wrong with that question. But don't just get focused on yourself. Close, literally, with a quote that John Piper put in this book. Pick it up, by the way. Sweet and bitter providence. John Piper is the book of Ruth. He's quoting John Henry Jowett, talking about what a great preacher does. A great preacher is one who is able to, quote, look at the horizon rather than at an enclosed field or a local landscape. He has a marvelous way of connecting every subject with eternity past and with eternity to come. It is as though you were looking at a bit of carved wood in a Swiss village window and you lifted your eyes and saw the forest where the wood was nourished and higher still, the everlasting snows. End of quote. What? Look outside yourself. Look to the redemptive purposes of God. When you struggle, when you suffer, when you're asking, why is this happening? to me? Why is this happening to us? When you look back at your past and say, I would rather that not be there. Look into eternity future and see the glory of God revealed. Because he's causing all things to work together for the good of those who love him, who are the call according to his purposes. And right near the end of the Bible, he who is seated on the throne says, Behold, you want to talk about a reversal? I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. God is a God of reversals. Don't look at your situation as hopeless or helpless. You are right square in the middle of the providence of God. And He is bringing all things together, summing them up in Christ, so that His glorious purpose of redemption can be accomplished in and through you, even as you suffer. Father, thank you that your words are not terminal. They don't stop. The story of Ruth doesn't stop. But echoes into eternity to the praise of your glorious grace. God, may our lives be the same. May the lives of the people
sound of my voice somewhere else. May their lives echo into eternity to the praise of your glorious grace. God, help us to not be selfish. Help us to live selfless lives, grace-filled lives, dispensing grace to other people, redeeming other people and their worth as we watch you work the great reversal in our lives, in their lives, in the life of this, in the history of this world that we inhabit. Help us, God. Give us eyes to see so that you might get glory in and through us. Save souls, redeem sinners, and get glory in this day and in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll just stand and receive a benediction. Sorry for keeping the lead. No, no, I'm sorry. Now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed. Stay with us if you can.